Welcome to Carmelite Conversations. This is Frances Harry. When is the last time you thought about your work as a road to holiness? Probably been a long time or maybe never. Well, Tim B., who is a discount Carmelite secular in Dayton, Ohio, gave a presentation on work, the road to holiness. And it was very refreshing and inspiring. Um, a reflection on work and how it can be seen as our road to holiness, to union with God. You know, he often struggled trying to understand the relationship between faith and work. And he learned most about how to resolve this issue by studying the saints and works from the church. So in this presentation, he'll refer to um, one of my favorites, Brother Lawrence of the Resurrection, who was a discalced Carmelite, and how he sees work. And also some of our other Carmelite saints he'll have pull some quotes from. Um, he'll per, pull from some church documents. One of them was the Economic Justice for All. Um, he'll pull from scripture. Um, and he'll help you to um, focus on four keys to holiness, to union with God, and seeing your work as this road to holiness. You know, often we think of work as your paid job, but work can encompass all kinds of things. It can encompass your volunteer work. It can encompass raising children. It can encompass cleaning hotel rooms. Um, work um, is what we do. And in the end, we want to know and love and serve God. And that is our main work, right? And so this is a very inspiring talk. I'm so excited that I was able to get uh, Tim Beat to come on to the program and present on this topic. I think that you will um, find lots to ponder and it will give you great peace. And I encourage you to um, listen to it more than once. I had to because it was just so good. So without further ado, I introduce you to Tim Beat. When I'm asked to give a talk, I pray that what I share will be like Nehemiah chapter 8 and not like Acts chapter 19. Nehemiah 8.12 says, Then all the people went away to celebrate with great joy because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. That's a great talk, right? But then there's Acts 19.32, which says, The crowd was in confusion, and most of the people did not even know why they had come. So let's hope that this talk is more like Nehemiah 8. A little about myself and my work life. I'm a member of Ascension Church in Kettering, Ohio. I'm a discalced Carmelite secular, and I'm president of St. Mary Development Corporation, which is a faith-based nonprofit that creates affordable housing for older people and connects them to the services they need to live independently. My wife Lynn and I have four kids. One is a Dominican sister. We have a son who is a financial analyst in Columbus, Ohio. We have a daughter studying computer engineering at Ohio State, and our youngest is a senior at Carroll High School. Prior to joining St. Mary, I was the national marketing manager at the University of Dayton, and I also worked for a family business for many years. I have a master's in business administration from Indiana University, and I attended Harvard University's Achieving Excellence in Community Development program. 
While I learned many things from my education at Indiana University and Harvard and other programs I've taken, I've learned the most about work from the church and its saints. I've often struggled to navigate the relationship between my faith and my work. I struggled with it while working for my family's business in Massachusetts before we moved to Ohio. I struggled with it while working at the University of Dayton, and I continue to struggle with it as I currently run a faith-based nonprofit. I'd like to share with you today some of what I've learned through my struggles, experiences, and reading. I mentioned that I'm a discalced Carmelite secular. One of my favorite Carmelites is Brother Lawrence of the Resurrection, whose letters were compiled into a book called Practicing the Presence of God. Brother Lawrence lived in the 1600s in France. He served in the army and fought in the Thirty Years' War. He suffered a severe injury to his leg in the war, and at age 26, he entered the Carmelite Order, where he worked as a cook in the kitchen and also as a cobbler, repairing the sandals in the monastery. Brother Lawrence's vocation in the monastery was made up of prayer and manual labor. He wrote a lot about how his faith and his work were one. This is how Brother Lawrence was described. He was a cook who knew stress, the pressure of busy times, the discontent of consumers, ingratitude, monotonous tasks, fatigue, disorder that must be straightened out, and the endless stack of dishes. Sounds pretty familiar, doesn't it? Brother Lawrence wrote, From the moment I entered religious life, I considered God to be the goal and end of my soul's thoughts and affections. But how did he do that? When he worked, he saw his workplace, a kitchen, as holy, as a place to encounter God. He worked both out of obedience to his superiors in the Carmelite order and out of obedience to God. Brother Lawrence didn't choose to be a cook. The job was given to him. He didn't even like being a cook, but he still saw being a cook as an avenue to God. The kitchen was his road to holiness. When Brother Lawrence began his work each day, he said, My God, since you are with me, and since I must apply myself to these duties by your order, I beg you to give me the grace to remain with you and keep you company. Even better, my Lord, work with me, accept my efforts, and take possession of all my affections. During his workday, he spoke to God, offering him his little services and asking him for his graces. At the end of his workday, Brother Lawrence examined his work. If he found good in it, he thanked God. If he noticed mistakes, he asked for forgiveness, but without getting discouraged. He simply redirected his mind and began again to abide with God as if he had never moved away from him. It wasn't as if his work was separate from his faith at all. Brother Lawrence was always united with God. This is what he called the practice of the presence of God. Brother Lawrence said this was the shortest and easiest way to arrive at Christian perfection. He was a simple man and said this path was open to everyone, regardless of their vocation. It is a path open to each of us. When he carried out his duties as cook, even in the midst of his work, including the most distracting tasks, his mind was recollected in God. 
Although his tasks were often great and difficult, often doing by himself what would require two people, he never acted hurriedly. He gave each task the time called for, remaining calm, working neither too fast nor too slow, remaining in the same evenness of spirit and constant peace. Was this an easy process? No, it was not. Brother Lawrence wrote, I will admit that during the first 10 years, I suffered a great deal. The road to holiness is not a short road for most of us. But by devoting himself to God through prayer and his work, he eventually got to the point where he wrote, I feel neither concern nor doubt about my state, since I have no will other than the will of God. I keep myself in his presence by simple attentiveness and a general loving awareness of God that I call a quiet and secret conversation of the soul with God that is lasting. It's easy for us to think, well, my job's different. Brother Lawrence didn't have the same stress I do at work. Perhaps not, but he had more stress than you might think. For example, one of his jobs was to buy wine for his community. He had a bad leg, but he had to travel on a three-week journey to purchase wine. It was a 500-mile round trip. How did he view his work? Brother Lawrence said that we must act very straightforwardly with God and speak to him freely, asking him for help in events as they happen. He was asked to go to Burgundy to get the wine supply for his community. It was a painful task for him. Not only did he lack skill in business matters, but his leg was crippled, and he could only get about on the boat by dragging himself over the barrels. Yet he didn't worry about it. He told God it was his problem. He told God it was his problem. I love that. And he usually discovered that all was accomplished and done well. He couldn't explain how his work was successful since he was not the one who accomplished it. He was not the one who accomplished it. The same was true of the kitchen, to which he had the strongest natural aversion. He hated the kitchen, but he got used to doing everything for the love of God, asking him at every opportunity for the grace to do his work. He was able to carry it out with great ease for the 15 years he was in charge of the kitchen. Maybe we're not thinking about work in the right way. When I was asked to give this talk and be speakers as part of this program, I was intrigued by the topic. I've been thinking about the role of work in our lives for more than 35 years. In 1986, when I was just beginning my work career, the U.S. Catholic bishops published Economic Justice for All, a pastoral letter on Catholic social teaching and the U.S. economy. It's not about economic theory, but rather the spiritual and moral implications of business activity and work. I read it with great interest. Then in 1992, the New Catholic Catechism was published, and it included a lot of great information on how our Catholic faith views work. There are two important questions we need to answer that might help us understand Brother Lawrence a little better. First, what is the purpose of work? And second, In a much broader way, what is our purpose? Let's start with the purpose of work. The pastoral letter Economic Justice for All says, Economic life is one of the chief areas where we live out our faith, love our neighbor, confront temptation, 
fulfill God's creative design, and achieve our holiness. Our economic activity in factory, field, office, or shop feeds our families or feeds our anxieties. It exercises our talents or wastes them. It raises our hopes or crushes them. It brings us into cooperation with others or sets us at odds. The road to holiness for most of us lies in our secular vocations. If you ask most people about the purpose of their work, few would say it was their road to holiness. Viewing your work as your road to holiness puts it in a very different light. But it also begs the question, what do you mean a road to holiness? To understand the meaning of work, we must first understand the meaning of life, of which work is only one element. Perhaps the most succinct answer to this question is from the old Baltimore Catechism, which asks, why did God make you? The answer, God made me to know him, to love him, and to serve him in this world, and to be happy with him forever in heaven. To know him, to love him, and to serve him. The purpose of life in this world and the next is union with God. To know him, to love him, and to serve him. But it is only within this greater context that we can talk about work. That's what Brother Lawrence said. How does our work unite us with God? The Catholic Catechism that came out in 1992, not the Baltimore Catechism, continues this theme of work being a road to holiness, a way you unite us with God. It says things such as, Human work proceeds directly from persons created in the image of God and called to prolong the work of creation by subduing the earth both with and for one another. So the next time your boss asks you what you're doing, just tell her that you're prolonging the work of creation. We sometimes forget that in the beginning there was work. In Genesis 2.8 we read, The Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east and placed there the man whom he had formed. A few verses later in Genesis 2.15, we learn man's role in the garden. The Lord God then took the man and settled him in the Garden of Eden to cultivate and care for it. To cultivate and care for it. That sounds a lot like work. Work that was side by side with God. God planted. Man cultivated and cared for what God planted. God's initiative came first, followed by man's involvement in God's plan. In this light, the Catechism makes much more sense when it says, Human work proceeds directly from persons created in the image of God, like Adam and Eve, and called to prolong the work of creation by subduing the earth, both with and for one another. Adam and Eve didn't remain in the garden, and the nature of work changed because their union with God was broken. We learn about this in Genesis 3, 17-19, where we hear about the change. This is what God said to Adam. Cursed is the ground because of you, and toil you shall eat its yield all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bear for you, and you shall eat the grass of the field. By the sweat of your brow you shall eat bread, until you return to the ground from which you were taken. Like most scripture, there are several ways you can read these verses. You can view it as a punishment to man. You disobeyed God, and now God will enact justice. I'd like to suggest an alternate interpretation. 
Cursed is the ground because of you. Cursed is the opposite of blessed. Blessed meaning with God and cursed meaning without God. Perhaps what God is doing here is simply stating the implications of what Adam had done. God is saying, Adam, we worked together in the garden. You were united to me. I planted and you cultivated. We worked side by side. But you chose to break our union. You have separated yourself from me. Therefore, now you will have to both plant and cultivate. I have to imagine that on more than one occasion after the fall, Adam thought, this work was a lot easier when I was with God. But Adam's call to work, to prolong the work of creation by subduing the earth, both with and for one another, for even their children, became a road to holiness, a way back to union with God, a way for us to participate in the redemptive work of Christ. We often talk about balance in our lives, work-life balance. But as I've gotten older, and as I've become more immersed in Carmelite spirituality, I've come to believe there really is no such thing as balance. Because to balance is to have an even distribution of weight or time or energy, so that something remains steady. An even distribution means there are at least two elements. It begs the question, What proportion of work, family, leisure, faith do I have in my life to achieve balance? The reason I don't believe there is a such thing as balance is because the purpose of life in this world and the next is union with God, not balance with God. There is no way for union if God is only one part of many, if our faith is only one part of many. To find union with God implies that we are one with God. There's no need for balance when there's only a single object. God's ultimate goal for us is not to find balance, but to be totally united with him. So there is no need for balance. Like Adam and Eve were in the garden, like Adam and Eve were in their work in the garden. So in my life, I found that to improve my work, my focus has to be on union with God. To improve my family life, my focus has to be on union with God. To improve any part of my life, my focus has to be on union with God. Scripture bears this out. In Matthew 22, 34-40, a Pharisee asks, Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Your work depends on loving God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Some people would say that Brother Lawrence isn't realistic today. Jobs are more complicated, the pace is faster, you need more technical expertise, and that all might be true. But let me tell you a story about how St. Mary Development Corporation was started. This isn't a story from the 1600s. This is a story from the late 1900s and early 2000s. Dick McBride and Sister Rose Wildenhouse met while serving together on a social justice committee for the Archdiocese of Cincinnati. Neither of them enjoyed meetings. They really hated meetings. And while the committee talked a lot about social justice, they wanted to find a real project. 
Now, Dick played tennis every week with one of the Franciscan brothers who lived at the Franciscan Seminary in Centerville, Ohio. That seminary is now the St. Leonard Senior Living Community. The Franciscan brother told Dick that they were selling the seminary property because of a lack of vocations. And the Franciscans were talking with some large companies who were interested in buying the property to make it a corporate training center. And they'd been offered millions of dollars for the 240 acres and all the buildings. Dick and Sister Rose jokingly said that they'd offer what was in their pockets for the property, and they emptied their pockets onto the table. They had a dollar and 32 cents, but said they'd serve the poor by creating an apartment community for older people with low incomes. The Franciscans actually thought that was an interesting idea. They asked Dick and Sister Rose for more information on how they'd accomplish it. And after some discussions, the Franciscans said they'd sell the property to Dick and Sister Rose under three conditions. First, that they create a business plan. Second, that they had to get the property rezoned. And third, that they raise $500,000 within three months to show that they were serious. This was in the early 1980s. Now, Dick and Sister Rose had no experience in building or managing a senior apartment community. Sister Rose had been a teacher and a principal, and Dick was an engineer by training. But they shared their plan with different churches, and they raised $438,000. They were $62,000 short. Many, many churches and religious communities had donated to the cause, but one was missing. The Archdiocese of Cincinnati, where they had met, hadn't given to the project. So Sister Rose wrote a letter to the Archbishop saying that even the Methodists gave us $50,000. And two weeks later, a check for $62,000 showed up. They had raised their $500,000. They bought the 240 acres for a dollar and they began their work which is very successful. After adding a nursing home to the campus, they realized they really needed a healthcare organization to run the campus, and they turned over the project to a Catholic healthcare organization. Today, more than 800 people live at St. Leonard. Dick and Sister Rose moved their work to Dayton, and they found ways to build new affordable apartment communities. To date, St. Mary has built more than 65 apartment communities with more than 4,500 apartment units. That's more than half a billion, that's billion with a B, dollars in real estate development. How did they do it? Actually, they did it a lot like Brother Lawrence. Dick had a sign on his door that said, God is in charge here. God is in charge here. They never worried about failing because their work was God's problem. Dick and Sister Rose had true humility. They saw their work for what it was, God's work. I'll tell you a funny story about Dick. He loved to work outside, and he did all the gardening and landscaping at Twin Towers Place, the first apartment community they created. One day, Dick was wearing a suit and giving a tour of the building to some bankers. One of the residents stopped Dick and said, it's amazing. You look just like the gardener who works here. When Dick and Sister Rose retired, they both moved their offices back to Twin Towers Place. Dick worked at the front desk and Sister Rose ran activities for the residents. Because it had always been God's work, they saw no difference if they were running the entire enterprise or serving the residents directly. Such humility.
There's an old saying, pray as though everything depends on God, but work as though everything depends on you. The saying is often attributed to St. Augustine and sometimes St. Ignatius or St. Benedict. On the surface, the saying kind of makes sense. Trust in God and also use your gifts. But in practice, the saying's advice is a slippery slope for most people. Why? Because when you work as though everything depends on you, you quickly begin to believe that everything does depend on you. It gets back to the question of balance. You start to think that God will take care of half the work and you will take care of the other half. That is not union with God. Often the harder we work to solve our own problems and obstacles in our lives, the less we rely on what God wants for us. The more we struggle and rely on our own effort, the tighter our troubles bind us, especially at work. Servant of God, Father Don Rotolo lived from 1882 to 1970. For a time, he was spiritual director for Padre Pio. Father Don received from Jesus the words of the Surrender Novena, which describes abandonment to God through the perspective of Jesus, as if Jesus is speaking directly to us. The refrain of the Novena is, O Jesus, I surrender myself to you. Take care of everything. Take care of everything sounds a lot like Brother Lawrence telling God it was his problem, doesn't it? Let me read you a few excerpts from the Surrender Novena. As I read them, I want you to consider how they might apply to your work, whatever that work is. This is Jesus speaking to you. In pain you pray for me to act, but that I act in a way you want. You do not turn to me. Instead, you want me to adapt to your ideas. You are not sick people who ask the doctor to cure you, but rather sick people who tell the doctor how to. So do not act this way, but pray as I taught you in the Our Father. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is, in our need, decide as you see fit for our temporal and eternal life. If you say to me truly, thy will be done, which is the same as saying, you take care of it, I will intervene with all my omnipotence and I will resolve the most difficult situations. Are we willing in our work to say to God, you take care of everything in the way Brother Lawrence did? Another section of the Surrender Novena says, what troubles you and hurts you immensely are your reason, your thoughts and worries, and your desire at all costs to deal with what afflicts you. You are sleepless. You want to judge everything, direct everything, and see to everything. And you surrender to human strength, or even worse, to men themselves, trusting in their intervention. This is what hinders my words and my views. Oh, how much I wish from you this surrender to help you and how I suffer when I see you so agitated. I know in my job, I like to feel like I'm controlling my work, or at least that my work is under control. This next part of the novena really blows my mind. Satan tries to do exactly this, to agitate you and to remove you from my protection and to throw you into the jaws of human initiative. So trust only in me. Rest in me. Surrender to me in everything. 
What does it mean to be thrown into the jaws of human initiative? I don't believe that it's saying that we shouldn't use our skills and talents. Of course we need to use our talents and skills. But in your own work, how many problems do you see that were created through human initiative? Aren't many of the greatest problems in our businesses, schools, families, and culture created through human initiative? What would it look like to surrender to God in our work? We are not sick people who ask the doctor to cure us, but rather sick people who tell the doctor how to cure us. Yet we do not know how to cure ourselves. Union with God means saying, Oh Jesus, I surrender myself to you. Take care of everything. Take care of everything. Which things? Every thing. Everything. This is what Brother Lawrence did. Other Carmelite saints also encouraged this surrender. St. Therese of Lisieux said, I find few hearts who surrender to him without reservations, who understand the real tenderness of his infinite love. If you want to feel the real tenderness of his infinite love, surrender to him. Surrender your work to him. St. Teresa of Avila said, Forget yourselves and surrender to God, come what may. Come what may? Are you crazy? Isn't that the main reason we don't surrender to God in our work and other parts of our lives? Let's be honest. We're scared to death of what it might mean. Come what may is not very reassuring. Our goal in life is union with God, but we are scared to death of union with God because we will no longer be in control, or at least feel that we're in control. We've never been in control. Only God is in control. We are unwilling to say to God, as Brother Lawrence did, God, my work is your problem. To say to God, you take care of everything. How do we find union with God and begin to act as Brother Lawrence described? How do we feed our families instead of our anxieties? How do we best exercise our talents instead of waste them? How do we raise hope instead of crushing it? How do we surrender to God? How do we truly, deeply ask him to take care of everything? I'd like to offer four ways that have helped me. The first way is silence. We're bombarded every day by noise. The road to holiness and surrender is paved with silence. Silence allows us to hear God. In his book, The Power of Silence Against the Dictatorship of Noise, Cardinal Robert Seurat writes, Our world no longer hears God because it is constantly speaking at a devastating speed and volume in order to say nothing. Modern civilization does not know how to be quiet. It holds forth in an unending monologue from morning to evening, from evening to morning. Silence no longer has any place at all. The noise tries to prevent God himself from speaking. In this hell of noise, man disintegrates and is lost. He is broken up into countless worries, fantasies, and fears. How can you be open to the mystery of God, 
to spiritual values and to our human greatness in continual turmoil. Contemplative silence is a fragile little flame in the middle of a raging ocean. Take 10 minutes a day and simply sit in silence with God. Do not speak. Allow yourself to simply be in God's presence. This can be more difficult than it seems. Thoughts and tasks will fill your mind. When they do, simply return to God. Over time, God will make himself known in the silence. The second way is detachment. Detachment from material things, but also from non-material things. Power, position, pride, even success in your work. And I would add detachment from prayer. I don't mean that we shouldn't pray. Obviously, we have to pray. But rather that when we pray, we should detach from the things we want God to give us. St. Teresa of Avila wrote, It is an important matter for beginners in prayer to start off by becoming detached from every kind of satisfaction and to enter the path solely with the determination to help Christ carry the cross like good cavaliers who desire to serve their king at no salary, since their salary is certain. We should fix our eyes on the true and everlasting kingdom which we are trying to gain. If there's one thing I've learned about myself, it's that I do not know what is best for me. If God gave me the things that I prayed for, it would often not be in my best interest. Detachment in prayer means that we seek only what God wants. The third way is the sacraments. What a blessing we have in the sacraments, and especially in the Eucharist and confession. What a loving God we have who gave us such tangible ways to encounter him, to be fed by him, to be forgiven by him. Receiving the Eucharist and confession moves us along the road to holiness. They provide great intimacy and union with God. The Eucharist and confession may be the most important part of your work life. The fourth way is to pray the surrender novena. Not saying it once, but over and over. It's very short. Pray it so often that you find yourself saying over and over throughout your workday, O Jesus, I surrender myself to you. Take care of everything. It may seem strange to suggest that silence, detachment, the sacraments, and surrender are the keys to success in work. None of these things were mentioned when I was in business school. They don't guarantee you will find success in your work as the world defines it. But we were not born for worldly success. We were born for union with God. Union in our life on earth and continuing our eternal life in heaven.